You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Inside Access with Jason Lockonfora and Ken Wyman. Sponsored by Stevenson University Online. 105.7 The Fan. And they all look really good. I mean, I love every one of them and, and for in different unique ways. Can't wait to see them. I do think it's early. Take it one day at a time and try to get better every day. Receivers so often get judged on a couple plays. When we grade the tape, we grade it on all the plays. But they're out there also to make those plays. I mean, that's the difference in games. Yeah, I mean, I get it. You know, it's an unproven group. And they have, uh, they, they, they're determined to make a name for themselves. My goal is that you know about all those guys when the season's over. Uh, we're working hard. The timing looks good. You know, I feel good about our passing game in practice. We've got a lot to evaluate there. John Harbaugh through the months talking about the wide receiving room of the Baltimore Ravens. And hopefully we'll see uh, today when the injury report comes back. But hopefully they get Rashad Bateman back Sunday. We shall see. But as we saw Sunday night against Cincinnati, they had Mark Andrews. They had Devin DuVernay. And... That's it. Tyler Wallace was wide open for a touchdown. He missed him, but he's not going to really get you a ton of production. There's not a whole lot of there there at the moment. No. I mean, this is a position group we've been talking about forever here, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. going back to Ozzy and did they draft the right ones and did they sign in the right ones and are they willing to spend the kind of money it's going to take to get um, the great ones here or the good ones here. And I mean, obviously, right, we can take it all the way back to Anquan Bolden and that uh-huh. decision. It seems like wide receiver has been a flashpoint position here forever. And certainly during the last three years, there have been plenty of questions raised and plenty of people asking the question, including us, about like what exactly does Lamar have to work with here outside of the the stud tight end. And we saw a game on Sunday where... They finally opened it up for Devin DuVernay, and he did what we all believed he could do, impact a football game, T-Bone, to a much greater degree than he had been allowed to to that point in time. But we also don't know what Rashad... Even Rashad Bateman's healthy, right? We've seen the drops. We've seen the inconsistencies. High highs, low lows. Not a guy who's been a consistent difference maker yet. It's still early, but yet... And everybody else, I just, I mean, look, when Prochet, Wallace, uh, Robinson, when none of those guys can get you even 10 receiving yards, when they can't really separate, I get it. He missed Wallace once down the line. But, I mean, you watch that film. Those guys are not, nobody's fearing them, and they have limited, whether it's route running ability, whether it's coverage recognition, whether it's not being on the same page as Lamar, or whether it's just not being all that good. They've got issues, and a lot of people in town are wondering what this team does in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, when's the, the tra- trade deadline is like week nine. It's like yeah. pretty much the end of this month. Yeah, You know, are, are people out there in Ravens flock comfortable, even with Rashad Bateman, 
with this assortment of pass catchers. Men and women lie. Numbers, they don't lie. Nine catches, 73 yards on 19 targets. That is for every receiver not named Rashad Bateman and Devin DuVernay. That's five games. So you're averaging less than two catches, less than 18 yards per game for other wide receivers than Bateman and DuVernay. And one of the games, of course, Sunday night against Cincinnati, Bateman didn't even play, and none of those guys had more than nine yards receiving. The Ravens entered camp, and deep in the camp, it wasn't until the third preseason game where Demarcus Robinson signed here, every receiver that they had was entering their third year or earlier. We were talking about what undrafted free agent rookie is going to make it at the receiver position. And I get it. Riley Webb. At (laughs) At some point, you do have to see what these young guys have. And Devin DuVernay, two thumbs up thus far. But they don't have anyone behind him. And now you're a month into the season. And can they get anyone else at this point? Well, there are guys available, Jason. There are two I can think of on the Carolina Panthers, one of whom went to the University of Maryland and D.J. Moore. The other, Robbie Anderson, both of them probably going to be part of the Panthers' purge in the next few weeks. Well, I think, look, they're going to they're get rid of Robbie Anderson. I, I don't know if there's a football, the right football trade exists for D.J. Moore. It might. I don't think it's here in Baltimore, though, because if, if they're trading D.J. Moore, then they're doing so... For value, and if you're giving up value for DJ Moore, you have already gone to your owner and said, "Hey, this is what this is the escalating price of doing business with top wide receivers. This is what this guy is going to command." But if I have to give up what I have to give up to get him, we can't do that for a rental, boss. It's got to be this guy's a part of our future. I don't know that that's this team. This is a team that's perpetually in the bottom third of actual money spent on payroll. This is a team that's going out of their way to. To build a roster where the, while everybody else is funneling money to receivers, we're we're zagging. We're zigging when they're zagging, or we're zagging when they're zigging. Um, try saying that five times uh-huh. fast. I just don't know, T-Bone, that this is where that happens. And Robbie Anderson comes with a lot of baggage. Um, this is a very young receiving room. I, I don't think that personality... I, I do not see that as being a fit. Can he still take the top off of defense when he's right and his hamstrings are all tuned up and everything? Yeah, but I uh, if they do their homework there, and I think they would have to, it's not a fit. Were you saying for DJ Moore that they didn't have the long term deal because he did sign the three year extension? Yeah, you got to be willing. You got to be willing to carry that freight. Yes, and. They could this year because it's only a million-dollar base salary. Do I see this happening? No, because it's not the Ravens' M.O. You're going to have to give up first-round pick and then some for a D.J. Moore. At 25 years old, you have cost certainty. He is under contract through 2025. This team has only given up one future first-round pick once. In the history of their Is D.J. Moore going to cost a first-round pick? I don't you know. You don't believe so? I think it's a second-day pick. He's 25 years old, and he's yeah. signed. I know. I, I just don't know it's a one. Oh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's okay, two twos and something. I mean, it's it's not it, it's not going to be a cheap price. I mean, you look at what was thrown around for Tyreek Hill. You look what was thrown around for um, Devontae Adams, and you factor in the kind of money those guys made as well on top of it, the full package. I, I just don't think it's worth wasting a whole lot of breath on that because, like, they still, I'm sure, believe 
that Rashad Bateman is going to be a legitimate number yeah. one receiver. And that you can see that Devin Duvernay can do some things. I, I think it's more like if the Galladay contract, and he comes with baggage no. too. But you know what I mean? I think it's more of a placeholder than someone who you know is now going to affect the way you spend your money over the next three years. And I, I especially don't think they want to take on a receiver making real money now knowing that Lamar's going to count 45 against their cap next year and and what that might look to, like. To your point, though, Ken, the Eagles gave up first and a fourth for A.J. Brown. Mm-hmm. And I think they're compar- – I would take A.J. Brown over D.J. Moore, but it's comparable. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm Carolina, I'm I'm shooting for that. Yeah, This is not – they. you have to wow them with value to get them to part with D.J. Moore. They'll take a bag of balls for Robbie Anderson. Yeah. And I think the Robbie Anderson – sort of uh, profile, like just from a, a, a monetary standpoint, where he is in his career standpoint, like a pure rental would make more sense for them. Yes. I just think that guy comes with baggage. Galladay would come with baggage. A Kadarius Tony is his skill set that much different than 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 Devin Duvernay, and, and he's, he's had a lot of issues in a short period of time. I think they need to be careful about the human element. Hey, just uh, want to let the people know, uh, Ravens are on the practice field getting ready for the Giants today. According to Jess Reback, who covers the team for the Athletic, Ravens, he doesn't see practicing. Rashad Bateman, Marcus Peters, Justice Hill, Justin Houston, Ben Cleveland, Ronnie Stanley, Calais Campbell. Now, he does point out that Peters and Campbell have been getting Wednesdays off for vet days. Also, uh, David Ajabo and Tyus Bowser on the field today for practice. Yeah, and and look, we we're we're sending T Bone to the castle today, so yes. I think we will. We certainly have plenty of fodder to filter his way. And and I look, obviously, Harbs is going to be asked a lot about this outside linebacker edge situation and and what's a realistic timetable for some of these guys. Bowser, obviously, more short term. Ajabo, you got to be smart about this. That's still that that's a ways away. But the fact that if they can hold serve until they get to that point, then yeah, that would be like like if they get essentially Bowser a little before the trade deadline and a Jabo two weeks or a week after the trade deadline, would you factor that into your team building equations? And would that be a feather in their cap? Most certainly could be. Huge Wednesday show, as as uh, Jason mentioned, T-Bone headed to the castle in about an hour. But uh, guest-wise, we'll talk to our buddy Tim Murray from VEASAN, get his best bets at 3.30. Danny Cannell, who will talk some college football with him at 4 o'clock. Pat Leonard will go behind enemy lines, covers the Giants for the New York Daily News. We'll get his thoughts on this game and our weekly chat with Ray Rice at 5. Yeah, um, big show. We'll talk a little bit of O's along the way as well. Some of the arbitration projections are out for their players. We'll dig into that. Is there anybody that they might want to move off of from that list? Um, and and certainly we're going to take a deep dive into just the Giants offense is bizarre. It's unlike anything I've ever seen. I dissected it last night. It's going to blow your mind when we get to it. <laughs> yeah, uh, we and I also that. have some thoughts analyzing what Wink Martindale's been up to in New York about what Lamar's going to see come Sunday. Coming up next, though, T-Bone headed to the castle. What are we sending him on a mission to do? Well, you'll find out next here on The Fan. Inside Access. Inside the warehouse and inside the castle. Inside Access with Jason LaConfora and Ken Wyman. 1057 The Fan. Before we get
get the T-bone. I do want to point out something we're talking about off the air. So with the David Ajabo and Tyus Bowser on the practice field, this begins their 21-day window before they have to be activated. Now, they have dead weight on their roster right now, but that's not the most ideal thing in the world, obviously. Unless one of them has a setback, they're going to be activated in the next three weeks. And it's also well, worth pointing this out that Gus Edwards... He only has 14 more days yes. left because he started practicing last week. So that's three roster spots. There's still one open spot on the 53-man roster as we speak right now. There's more than that. Well, uh, Nick well, Boyle's I mean, that, an open that's roster. That's the thing, though, right? But, so but an actual open you, spot. You, you would have to add a Jabo to your 53, but he could be a game day inactive yes. for weeks sure. afterwards I while he's still working himself into shape or testing this or testing that. I mean, again, we we – We've covered this fodder before, but, you know, Tylon Wallace and Nick Boyle, I mean, you could come up with a list of guys who are barely playing any snaps who are still active, let alone on the 53. Um, but T-Bone, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you're, you're going to be probing around out there a little bit about by, uh, Bowser in particular, right? Uh, I, I guess about, about his availability, um, just the edge rusher position alone, yeah, right? Where they entered the season with two outside linebackers and not saying that all of these guys are superstars, but now they might have a plethora on the way <laughs> at outside uh-huh. linebacker where Justin Houston, when he comes back, won't have to play over 70% of the snaps. JPP won't have to play 70% of the snaps. Maybe even Adafi Owe could have his snaps reduced. So they'll at least have a rotation there. Well, yeah, if, if we live in a world, and I know this is this is big stuff here, but assuming Justin Houston's healthy, and then Tyus Bowser's healthy, right. and David Ajabo's healthy, and JPP bits. is still there, yeah. all of a sudden, you don't that need... That looks like an NFL roster. Yeah, you don't need to have a guy, as T-Bone pointed out, nobody's got to play 80% of the snaps anymore. No. Now <laughs> you've got a, you, you've got a, a, a healthy, robust complement of edge pieces that you can mix, mix and match with. Yeah, but like, let's be real. This is going to be all about Wink, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I would, I'm very interested to see. Well, talking unless about you're going to bring a camera, I should say here what some of this locker room has to say about this matchup with Wink. You know, Pat Ricard picking up all these crazy blitzes. Um, you know, and, and then even from the defensive side of things, what what those guys' expectations are. And and look, we're going to delve into this a little a little later in the show. But Wink's doing a hell of a job with this defense. Yes, they're is. not giving up big plays. You know, they're giving up a lot of rushing yards. But I think he's okay with that because they're effectively limiting the pass by playing a lot of single high, a little bit of cover three, and Wink, of course, is blitzing as much as anybody in the league. He and the Lions are are pretty much tied, blitzing thirty nine percent of the time. You've covered this league for a while, and I know that it's going to get brought up to John Harbaugh, Lamar Jackson. How much of a benefit is it for the Giants that Wink was the defensive coordinator here 2018 through 2021? He saw Lamar Jackson. He saw Greg Roman up close and personal for multiple years. Well, he's got a portal into them that nobody else would have. I mean, I'm sure there were nights when he and Giro were sitting there talking about, hey, I've been doing this and I've been running into a a brick wall here. What do you think from the defensive perspective that they're going to do if I do this? No, it works both ways, right? But I guess... When we are talking about the Baltimore Ravens and we're talking about a quarterback um, as 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 generationally gifted as Lamar Jackson, 
the story each week is how to, like, right? I mean, from the other team's yeah. perspective, every week, which storyline number one when you're facing the Baltimore Ravens? Lamar Jackson. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing is, I don't care how much Wink has seen him. There's nobody on that. Who, who, yeah, who the heck is, is on the Giants right now that in practice all week can replicate Lamar Jackson? There's not another person in the NFL. No. no. Not not who knows? Giants. Maybe they're making Kadarius Tony yeah. earn his paycheck yeah. that way by being the scout QB. <laughs> yeah. That's maybe your best bet. Kenny Galladay? <laughs> no. Um, you know, and, and like, we've seen guys change their spots against Lamar, right? We saw Belichick blitz more than he normally does. We saw Leslie Frazier blitz a hell of a lot more than he normally does. The Bengals, Anarumo, maybe not to the same degree, but certainly blitzed more than he normally does. Well, I don't, Wick's already blitzing everybody 40% of the time. Like, I mean, is, is he going to dial it down just a little bit with Lamar? Will it be more early down blitzes and more coverage on third down? And how much of Wink's approach will be tied to? Is Bateman out there? You know what I mean? Who am I really worried about? No, Because, again, he's playing a lot of single high right now to begin with. No Bateman at practice today. I think Wink's definitely going to be throwing some wrinkles, right? Sometimes he – I'm trying to think of the game last year where he did hold everyone back. Instead, It might have been Mahomes. It was the Chiefs game, yeah. week two, where he did not send everyone. Yeah. He barely blitzed him at all. I mean, maybe you see something like that because – you aren't going to be able to reel him in all the way because he is going to send the house at some points. But I, I imagine it's going to be a different defense than we've seen through the first five weeks. They can couch it at Owings Mills all they want as a clean break and, a, you know, agree to part ways. Come on. This guy's done this job a long time. He's got a lot of pride. This is someone we thought two years ago was on the cusp of being a head coach. And now he's out there kind of shopping his wares. And he picked a great spot. And Brian Dable's going to be a rock star head coach. And they're going to get that thing cleaned up in New York. They're already doing it. And they don't even have a lot of their own players in there yet. But you can't tell me the fact that, like... That's personal. They went out and found it. They think a 33-year-old who's never done this job before could do it better than me? Really? Really? You you can't tell me there's not an element of that to this. Oh, there's definitely some. So what do we want T-Bone to get to the bottom to as he heads to the castle? Tyce Bowser, what's a realistic return? Um, Obviously, people are going to ask Lamar about what he expects to see from Wink. I'm interested to get an offensive line perspective or a Pat Ricard perspective on Wink as well and, and what these kind of responsibilities mean for him. I am curious to hear what Harbaugh says about Wink because he will be asked. Oh yeah, and he's going to have to say like he'll, he'll he's be. not going to duck the question. Now he won't. He he's not going to take a shot at him. But I, I am interested to hear what he has to say. I'm hoping to talk to Gina Stone in absolutely room. good call and just to he's going to be pressed in action. He's going to be the full time starter for the first time in his career entering year three and he. He played under Wink, and the defense turning around, at least from a pass uh, defense standpoint, there's a lot to get Patrick Queen, what's he have to say yeah, about Wink? I, I don't, think, don't think he's the biggest Wink fan in the world. <laughs> no, I think you're and right. And look, Kyle Hamilton. You know what I mean? Where Where is his head right now? Um, you know, what, what? what's a realistic expectation for him? Again, not long term, but to try to win this very important ball game in five days. Inside Access here on a fantastic Hump Day Wednesday. Coming up next, if you remember a week ago, we we, failed, we decided the rebuild is over. So last week we gave our six worst position players during the Mike Elias rebuild. Well, today it's the six worst pitchers Oof. of the rebuild. We'll give you our hours next here on The Fan. 
Inside Access. It's Jason and Ken's Six Pack. Presented by Weathermaster Windows. Get top-rated windows with a lifetime guarantee for under $215. Visit WMWindow.com and get an estimate in 60 minutes or less. Inside access to what the boys are drinking. <laughs> I mean, thinking. 1057 The Fan. This one's going to smell a little bit. Last week we did the six worst position players during the rebuild. That's from 2019 to 2022. Now we're doing the pitchers. And, Stoney, let's get started. Number six. My number six is Jorge Lopez, the starter. Jorge Lopez, the starter, wow, was all cruel. Three and 14 with a 607 ERA in 2021. At some point they moved into the bullpen and something happened. But Jorge Lopez, the starter, was awful. Awful. He was dealing with a lot. He had a lot going on. In I, his I life. don't care. He was He's awful. He's the same human being that we, they then hey, flipped t- for. Time out. We big don't return. Know, time out. We don't know what other people were going through in their lives. We just know Ooh, that Ore. Uh, that's true. Yeah. So uh, he was Jorge bad. Jorge Lopez, the starter. Oh, T Bone. Three and fourteen with a six oh seven. And what did he do after that? I mentioned that's There's why he's been a six. A lot of bad pitchers. He's off to a bad start, T Bone. Well, I, I will say, Lopez, remember his numbers the first time through the order. He was dominant yeah. as a starter. And then he, got, then he got his brains beat. Yeah. My six is the backflipping closer, Dustin Knight. What, he pitched like five innings? 9.35 ERA. That's sort of the point. If you yeah. couldn't stick around yeah. with these with the worst pitching staff in the history of the world, he's how to, bad were you? He's off to a bad start, Tim. The guys yeah. have to pitch yeah. so many. Lopez was so bad, he lasted here four years, yeah. and he was amazed, uh, and people were crying when he got yeah. traded at the deadline. He became a bullpen Dustin guy. Knight, 9.35 ERA, pitched eight and two-thirds innings, gave up nine earn, walked five. There would be no backflips for him. Still kicking around. Got a little cup of coffee with the Rays this year, but spent most of the year at AAA. Um, I'm old enough to remember when we were sort of waiting. When are they going to call up this backflipping closer who nobody's hitting in Norfolk? Number five. Now, my number five, I just, I'm old enough to remember him pitching two days ago for the Rays or three days ago whenever they got eliminated. But my God, was he awful here, and I could not wait for him to go. Sean Armstrong lasted yeah. three years here. 5.34 ERA as a reliever. 1.5 whip as a reliever. 13 home runs allowed in 85 appearances. And remember, he wasn't there for length. They weren't trying to get three innings out of Sean Armstrong. They were trying to get three outs. My five was Paul Fry post-sticky stuff. Four and five with a with a 608 ERA and then never seen again. Remember, this guy was a decent reliever, and then they got yeah. rid of the uh, spider tack or whatever it was, and he couldn't get anybody out. Eventually sent down. I don't know where. Is he still? Uh, I, I don't know where Paul Fry is now. He was somewhere at some point this year. I don't know if he made it through the entire year in a major league roster or not. Number four. We are talking about the worst pitchers for the Orioles during the rebuild. And my four is Asher Wojciechowski, who was a guy that just was awful. Uh, Strike year, he had an ERA of almost seven. You didn't get that many starts during the strike year. He was really bad, and you knew while watching him he was a guy that had no future, but he was trying to just get them to the other side, and that was the, the – we talk all the time the painful part of living through the rebuild. Asher Wojciechowski was a living through the rebuild guy. This – and I'm in a similar spot with you, but this right here around four was where I had my Dwight Smith, DJ Stewart dilemma, where I'm like, I can't put them both in because it's kind of the same thing, so I'm going to put one of them in. This was a coin flip for me between – 
Tom Eshelman or Asher Wojciechowski? Because I thought it was the same guy. Yeah. Like, both had been drafted by the Astros 10 years ago when Elias was there, five years ago. And they kept hoping and trying it would be a thing. It was never a thing. They Eshelman, gave Asher mo- more run. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe. I don't. I didn't. I don't know. I don't. I don't have that in front of me. But I do know that Thomas Eshelman had a five point seven seven ERA while he was here, a six point five one FIP, which is interesting because the defense here stunk, and he somehow. He's, he, I mean, most of these guys, at least, it, it wasn't that. You know, it was a huge difference between this guy was only less than a run, ten point five hits per nine innings. Uh, he had like one good outing in Fenway, I can remember, but it 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 was one of those where you're like, when do we get to the point in time where like Eshelman and Gigi's boy aren't pitching every five days? Eshelman, I remember, couldn't break a plane of glass. I was about to say, I can throw uh-huh. harder yeah. than Tom Eshelman. It's possible. I, it, it's, this is really just an ugly list all around. There's no winners here, There though. are no winners. I, I think early on I got to give it the J just because I think of the good with Paul Fry. Yeah. I think yeah. of the good with There's Jorge so many Lopez. horrible pitchers who did nothing good here. And and Asher Wojciechowski, I did like his lettuce. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he did at least have that redeeming quality where Tom Eshelman just he's throwing meatballs up there. But both of them didn't Asher have like a really good start against the Red Sox going like seven uh, innings? I, I, I thought it was Eshelman had one at Fenway. Well, Asher I think they had both one. Did. Yeah, I think they I both, think they had, both, had, both had like yeah. one good start. Yeah. Yeah. Every, everybody has one good start. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> number three. My number three, and I, I knew that it was bad, but <laughs> going back and looking at these box scores, my God. Connor Wade. Connor Wade pitched seven times for the Orioles. And amassed an ERA of 11.68. 12 and a third innings. Gentlemen, he gave up 23 hits in 12 and a third innings. He gave up three home runs in 12 and a third innings. And threw in five walks to boot. A 2.3 whip. Um, Again, 23 hits and five walks in 12 and a third. Yikes. My last three are all 2019 guys. My twenty, my number three is Gabriel and Noah. Was one oh, in God, ten with him. a five six one ERA. Gave up twenty nine homers in one hundred and ten <laughs> innings pitched. That is brutality. Number two. T-Bone, you talk about guys who had one good start. Well, my number two is David Hess, who was first star <laughs> oh of the year, God. had a no-hitter yeah. going into seven. the seventh inning. He finished 1-10 in with a 7.09 ERA that year. Remember how everyone was so pissed? I was mad. Yeah. Because I, I knew so that pissed. that guy was this was going to be the best that ever got. Like David Hess is not a part of the future. Let him try to chase history. Let me. I told you. That's that, the first time he ever got pissed at Brandon Hyde. Yeah. Oh, well, that, that, that wasn't the last. Uh, <laughs> remember I told you Noah had 29 homers, 110 innings pitched? David has 28 and 80. 28 homers in 80 innings pitch. He's number two. See, I got a soft spot for him. I, I couldn't put him on this list. No. Uh, he's still kicking I'm around. So, he was so, with the Rays for a while this uh, year in AAA. Well, he's well, about the Orioles. Yeah. My number two, and, you know, I'm sorry. Shout out, Big Ben. I'm sorry I have to do this. But remember the year they took two Rule 5 pitchers. One was Tyler Wells. The other was Max Scroller, who was in AA, I think, with the Reds this year. 14.09 ERA. Mac managed Here's to give seven up innings. 15 hits in seven and two-thirds while walking seven. Dude, I saw the last outing, and you knew it was the last outing. And these, these stats were horrible. So when they give up on a Rule 5 kid like five weeks into a season when they're going to lose 120 games or whatever, you, you might be among the worst pitchers to have worn the uniform. Number one. <laughs> 
I started this list with a back flipper. I'm ending it with a knuckleballer. Mickey Janis. No, so off. Mickey Janis. One outing. So off. Three and a third. I know where you're going. I was there. Saw this from behind the home plate. Eight hits against the Astros. Seven earned. Three home runs. Four walks. He did manage to strike out one. 18.90 ERA. He got called up as a career journeyman. He made that outing. He was set to appear on our show the next day. He got DFA. Uh, Jason, with all due respect, there's one guy, and it's not even close. Dan Straley threw to a 9.02, excuse me, 9.82 ERA. He gave up 22 homers in 47 innings. 22 homers in 47 innings. Now, granted, guest of the show. He was he came, cool. He came, came off from Korea. From Korea. During the pandemic. But he is the number one worst pitcher in Orioles uh, uh, rebuild history, and it ain't close. He came back on the other side. He was uh, pitching in the majors. Uh, that's fine. He was awful here. Speaking of coming back on the other side, Ken. That's a big W wow. for the Nah, dude. I, he knocked it out. 3-2-1. 6-5, I was... Gabrielle Noah, he needed to be on there. David Hess was terrible. Dan Straley. Dan Straley, though. I mean, not having Dan Straley. He stunk. Let me just let me just stunk. put this in perspective. I want to get back. I got to find uh, the page. Twenty nineteen. Dan Straley gave up twenty two homers in uh, forty seven and two thirds. To put it in perspective, Dylan Bundy led the team in home runs allowed with twenty nine in one hundred and sixty one innings. Seven more homers. Dylan Bundy was in others receiving votes from me. Hey, well, there's really? a lot of guys. I, I, I considered it. No offense. There were a lot of guys in others considering votes. Yeah. Are you saying that just because of the pedigree? I mean, there was a lot of junk that it we was, I, I was done with. I was more than. And I was a huge Dylan Bundy guy. Sure. But when they finally moved him, I was doing backflips and, and cartwheels. T-Bone, you might remember this. I think uh, I was one in the mornings. And I had Joe LaCroix put together... Uh, a, a mash of all of Straley's homers to uh, My Heart Will Go On yes. by, uh, yes. by Celine Dion when he was released. We played a whole thing with the song oh, in the background. Oh, my goodness. 22 homers in 47 innings. That is that is absolute. Now, in his defense, it's before they moved the wall back. Who knows? We could go back to StatCast. Maybe today it would have only been like 15, GG. Someone should do that exercise. How many of Straley's homers would have stayed in the ballpark now? You could say that that for all these guys. Yeah. I mean, maybe yeah. they could have been on the list of all the DFA waiver they claims. They might have. The that's why there was. That's why we were banging on Elias at that time, saying, yeah. "Why isn't he finding treasure and more trash?" They just had to change the confines of the ballpark. That's all. I just think it's amazing that any pitcher gave up a home run every two innings. Like that's what Dan Straley did. It's just it, it's almost like going zero for fourteen picking games. That's tough to do. It, it is it is stone cold lock territory right there. Hey, coming up next here on the show, Ravens taking on the Giants this Sunday, and we take a deep dive into that Giants offense. Just how good a job has Brian Dable done so far? Well, Jason Lock and Four is going to tell you next here on the Fan Inside Access. One zero five seven. The Fan. Baltimore's home for sports. And Barkley takes it into the end zone for the go-ahead touchdown, and the Giants take the lead. Anybody that gets, you know, quote-unquote injured or dinged up during the game, our medical staff will, will look at them, will treat them during the week. I think whatever we need to do, uh, and again, I'm not at that point right now. It's, it was a, a late night of travel. Whatever we need to do for him, we'll do, um, and hopefully he'll be ready to go. 
You heard the touchdown in London and then Brian Dable after the game talking about guys get dinged up but come back in. And Saquon Barkley, he was more than dinged up before this season. He had a brutal injury, then another injury, and it's taken him two years, but he looks like Saquon Barkley again, Jason. And man, oh man, he's carrying that load for the Giants. Yeah, I mean, look, Brian Dable, rookie head coach, is certainly not asking anybody to do a whole lot in that offense other than Saquon Barkley. And the more I studied this thing, like it reminds it it's reminds me of nineteen seventies football. Like the running back position to this offense, it's you can't overstate how important it is. Guys, Saquon Barkley has 115 touches, so he's leading the NFL. Next is Daniel Jones with 41. That's the quarterback. That's the quarterback <laughs> running 41 times. Yeah. Nobody else on the team has 20 touches. No other skill player on the team has 20 touches. A receiver named Richie James has 19. Don't know who that is. So Barkley has almost 100 more touches than any other skill guy on the league. I'm sorry, on on that roster. If you take out Daniel Jones, you've got 115 touches for Barkley and 98 for the rest of the receivers, running backs, and tight ends combined. It's absolutely staggering. Barkley's rushed 97 times. Next is Jones with 41. Then it's Matt Breda at 14. Like, this ain't a timeshare. This ain't a give him a give him a breather. Yeah. The other guy gets three snaps a game. And Saquon Barkley doesn't leave the field. Saquon Barkley has 676 yards from scrimmage. Next on the team, Daniel Jones with 230. Nobody else on the team has 200 scrimmage yards. Again, we're five games into an NFL season in the year of 2022 where everything's geared toward the offense, and yet somehow the running back and the quarterback have 906 scrimmage yards and the rest of the team combined has 848 T-bone. How? And they're 4-1. and one. Wow. How is this possible? It's literally a one-man yeah. gang. If you want to throw in the quarterback when he runs, okay, but like, Kadarius Tony has four touches. Well, he's... Kenny Galladay, their big free agent signing two years ago, I'll go a different regime, has two touches. I've never seen anything like this in my life. And the issue, one of the issues, their receiver position has just been decimated. Where Sterling Shepard's done for the year, Colin Johnson, Wandale Robinson got hurt, and, and the two boss, Tony, the two boss, yeah, yeah. Kadarius Tony, Kenny Galladay. He just doesn't have anything to so, work with so, at the receiver tight end position. And that just makes with Saquon Barkley. It's unbelievable. Even more impressive. So let me ask you this. I, I got to think if I'm Michael McDonald, <laughs> I'm playing things a little differently Sunday than I have in the last few weeks. Because quite frankly, who the hell am I worried about on the back end? If he's playing a two deep or a three deep shell against these guys, somebody needs to check his Gatorade bottle. Like they're, I, I mean, again, no one else has touched the ball more than 20 times on that team besides the running back and the quarterback. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's impossible. Yeah. And, and it, they're four and one. And, and it, they've they've come back on people. Like they, it's not the, like uh, it's not Packers. like they scored the first drive oh, were, every week and just sat on the ball. They were down 17-3 the, the Packers. To the Packers. Yeah. Didn't they come back on the Titans week one? I think so, yes. They've been playing from behind a lot. With a with just a running back on offense, and they're four and one. So, what do we think about this Giants team long term? 
because is it sustainable is the question is it sustainable and it's also uh, i wish i had the stat right now in front of me here it is ravens they're five point favorites over the giants and a team four and one or better entering week six has only been that large of a home dog three times 1966 Cardinals, 07 Cowboys, 2020 Bills. So 66 so, Cardinals so, are good. So that tells you what Vegas thinks of them. Now, they've played a soft schedule. and give them all the credit in the world for coming back and beating the Packers uh, down double digits. But is this sustainable? Are they 4-1, and one, you know, a, a good 4-1? and one? They played the Cowboys tight into the third quarter of that yeah, game, didn't they? they? Did. they I did. mean, like... There's something to be said for a a person with Brian Dable's emotional intelligence and his football IQ coming in to replace a guy who was a turd as a human being and wasn't a football. Like, Joe Judge is not a tactician. Joe Judge was wanted to prove how tough he was. Joe Judge hired a crappy staff. Um, it just was never going to work. So I think a lot of this is just... It's real. Like, we're, we're now, we have a chance to win. These guys are going to put us in a position to win. But they're not doing it with their own guys yet. Well, let me ask you a different is, – is a one-man offense sustainable? I would have told you there's no way that this team right now could be – four. I would tell you this is – if you had given me – you said this is going to be an NFL team's stats at offensively at the one-third point in the season, what do you think their record is? I'd, I'd have said 0-5. I don't care how good the defense is. Like, that's crazy. You can't run an offense completely through a quarterback and a running back five weeks in a row and expect to win a single more than a game. And it's also not like this defense is transcendent with the Giants. Like, they're top ten. They're good. They're sound. But not a number one ranked defense. I'll tell you what. The kid uh, uh, Thibodeau looks like he's going to be a player. He looks like a real player. But it's not like they have a plus ten turnover margin or some crazy stuff. Like, they're playing solid, sound football. Wink's being, he's still blitzing a lot, but I think he's being a little more judicious about when he does it. They're putting people into positions to succeed. They're playing with a lot of energy and a lot of belief, um, a lot of self-confidence. I think that Brian Dables rebuilt Daniel Jones mentally. I still think Daniel Jones is limited. And Daniel Jones, with this cast of no, Richie James is their leading receiver right now. Like, is that tenable to your point, Gigi? No. But, like, are they are they dangerous in a weird way? Yeah. And by week three, you could see that you stop the running back and there's nothing else there. They can't stop the running back. That, but the Packers spent a lot of time, energy, and money to, to make that defense elite. And now, the worse. coordinator's a jackass. But they got a 14-point lead, and you know it's a one-man gang, and they they couldn't stop it. The offensive line is, is, is better than it's been. Um, but this is going to be a fascinating challenge because – I can't wait to hear what ultimate football guy Bobby DePaul says on Friday because, like, there's literally only one personnel on the mm. offensive side. I mean, like, okay, you talk about Evan Neal and his development mm-hmm. and some of the things they're doing, combo blocks on the offensive line. Okay. But, like, I this blows my mind that this is possible. In, in 2022. He's got 676 scrimmage yards. The next six non-quarterbacks on the roster combined for 671. Impossible. It reminds me of, I thought, I'm like taking a time warp back to 1985. If you remember, the 85 Bears played the Rams in the NFC Championship game. That was Eric Dickerson. His quarterback was Dieter Brock. Like, like there was no, it was all Eric Dickerson. But did they at the least time. have like really Flipper Anderson? No, like, not, still yet, then, not yet. Not, that, he was I mean, later. Okay. He, was, he was played with Jim Everett. This is right, 85. Right. Let's think about Jamal Lewis in 03. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have a quarterback. Yeah. 
It's it just this seems like a different game now. It shouldn't be able to still happen. But Saquon Barkley, and you're talking about a guy in Saquon Barkley who some people sort of said this this case kid's career well, he, is over. A lot of people thought that. Yeah. How can he have six times as many touches as anybody else on the team except for the quarterback? Impossible. Because they got to do what they got to do to win, but, and it's working. And yeah. they, they look. I personally wouldn't be shocked if this keeps up for another week or two that they trade Saquon Barkley because it's really not about this year. Now, maybe the fans would go crazy, but this is this is pretty unbelievable stuff. And I, I will just say Brian Dable's built a great staff, mm-hmm. and they're really smart. He and the GM, Joe Shane, came from Buffalo. They've seen firsthand how to turn a franchise around. And I, I'm sure they'll find a way to muck this up and make it an ugly, close game. Coming up next... T-Bone is uh, headed to the castle. He's going to one winning drive. He'll be back around 5 o'clock. But uh, we're going to take a look at this game from another angle. Lamar Jackson versus a guy that used to be on his own coaching staff, Wink Martindale, who's prob- who probably knows him as well or better than anyone because he had to practice against him every day. What kind of surprises is Wink going to have in store for Lamar? We'll tell you next here on The Fan. Inside. Inside. With Jason Lockenfora and Ken Wyman. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.